in the theological tradition of the church, we usually group together three events in our Lord's ministry where his identity as the second person of the Trinity is made known. So the first of these three events we celebrated two weeks ago, the Epiphany, the coming of the Magi. The second we celebrated last week, the baptism of the Lord. And then the third is what we heard in the Gospel today, the wedding at Cana, our Lord's first public miracle. And it's an interesting miracle because at least to us casual observers, it seems pointless or at least unnecessary, right? There are so many other great miracles that Christ performs in the gospel. He raises the dead. He cures the sick. He gives the deaf their hearing. And then he turns water to wine. Why is this the first miracle that John wishes to share with us? Well, there are three messages that we can glean from the story. The first is in relation to the role of Our Lady. So St. John writes, There was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus and his disciples were also invited. It's almost as if our Lord's presence is an afterthought to St. John. The mother of Jesus was there. Oh, and Jesus also came. But that's an important detail. The connection that Christ has to this married couple is through his mother. Maybe this is someone in Mary's family, or it's the child of a friend of hers. Cana isn't that far from Nazareth, after all. Our Lady is clearly at the wedding because she's assisting with it, hence the reason she knows they're running out of wine. But St. John the Evangelist will give us two sides of Mary to consider. On one hand, notice how in the Gospel no one prompts her to act. She just discovers the wine is running short, and so she goes to the Lord, her son, They have no wine. It's not a request or a command. She just makes the observation, but she clearly knows he would understand her meaning. But for a second, it seems like Christ is going to ignore her. But still she acts as if he agreed. Do whatever he tells you, she says to the servants. Our Lady has noticed what essentially is a very minor issue for someone who she loves. This couple is at risk for embarrassment. No one asks her to take care of the situation. She just notices the issue and she goes to her son for help. They have no wine. She's essentially saying, I know you can do this, so do it. Now, if this is how Our Lady will respond when she's not prompted, how much more can she plead for us when we ask her to? When we ask her for those things which we need far more than wine. And so that's the other side of the story. Mary is teaching us how to pray. She runs to the Lord knowing that he will fulfill her request. She has no doubt that he will do it. And she seeks him not for herself, but for the one she loves. She's saying, I'm not asking this for me. They need this. They need your help. They have no wine. And so the prayers that we offer for the people we love are of such importance because they express a selfless desire but also because they show our true love, a love which flows only from God and which desires the good of the other over the good of the self. They have no wine. So that's the first lesson. The second lesson 
is how Christ responds. Now, surely he could have solved their problem in all kinds of ways, right? He could have made it so that the wine, which was already running short, would just continue to flow. That's how he did with the miracle of the loaves and the fishes, right? Or with the widow's oil when she encounters the prophet Elijah. He could have made it so that wine just spontaneously appeared out of nowhere. But how does he act? In some way, he limits himself. Christ desires that the servants will take part of this miracle with him. Think about it for a moment. The servants are determining how generous the Lord's going to be. Fill the jars with water, he says, and so they filled them to the brim. That is the amount of wine that he's going to produce for the miracle. It's the amount they are willing to put into the jars. If they would have filled the jars halfway, they would have discovered jars half filled with miraculous wine. And so the generosity of the servants has profited them with a generous miracle. Now, Christ could have done it anyway, but he chooses this way. And in the same way with us, Christ could perform any great works throughout our whole life without any of our help. But he desires our participation. We are his instruments because he chooses us to be. And his ministry is performed in the world to the extent that we are willing to be generous to him. But our Lord doesn't limit himself to the quality of our work. Now, he could have told the servants to go find a rare spring and fill up the jugs or to fill them up with grape juice or with something that would require more effort. But he's satisfied with plain water. St. Paul in the epistle of today's Mass will tell us that each of us are given different manifestations of the Spirit. One is given wisdom to another knowledge and so on. Yet regardless of the gift, the Lord's work is produced so long as there is generosity. Truly, in comparison with our Lord, what we have to offer him is of little value. But the very fact that it is offered to God is what makes it valuable. He makes it valuable because we offer it to him. He performs this miracle for us at every Mass. We bring him this substance which barely resembles bread, the hard wafer, which we got mailed to this parish by some Mass distribution center, And before that, the company had to get someone to cut down wheat and grind it and mill it and put it in water and roll it out and heat it and put it into little boxes until it landed in the sacristy. But that little cardboard-tasting wafer is enough for Christ. He can work with that. We give him this wine, a table wine. It probably came out of a catalog in a crate. It was mass-produced in some factory. But the grapes had to be crushed, their juices fermented and bottled, allowed to sit for some time until it could become a simple table wine. But that simple wine is enough for Christ. He can work with that. And so he looks over all of our needs, our desires, and he says, they have no wine. But to solve this dilemma, he doesn't tell us to miraculously transform ourselves into something that we're not. Instead, he asks us to be crushed like grapes, ground up like wheat, and offer every last drop of who we are until we fill the jar, fill it to the brim, and then he can work with that. And that brings us to the final lesson. St. Augustine will pose the question of why does Christ tell his mother that his hour has not yet come? 
if this is the miracle that Christ will perform before his hour, what is the good wine of his hour? St. Augustine tells us it's the gospel. That is the good wine of the new covenant. And surely we can all look around us today, right, at the turmoil the world is in. We can look at our town, our families. We could look at this parish, at the church. We can look everywhere and say they have no wine. Where is the gospel? Who will give it to them? Who will help them? If Christ can work with whatever part of us we can offer, what good can he do then when someone offers more? When someone offers their entire self? Now, St. Paul tells us that there are not all who are given this gift, but there are some people who have been given certain gifts which, when they offer them fully to him in the church, can produce good wine. And I'm speaking here of priestly and religious vocations. Our Lady runs to Christ in this passage because she knows he can help these people. He has the authority to do it. But Christ the Lord shares that same authority with his ministers. Each day the priest stretches his hands out over the altar as the Jewish priest would have stretched their hands over the scapegoats of the Old Covenant. And they repeat the words of Christ and those little bits of bread and the small dose of wine transforms into something miraculous. The miracle of Cana happens again for us, but in a greater way. The little dose of wine becomes a scapegoat. It, he, takes on the guilt of our sins. And then at this wedding banquet of Christ and his church, the bridegroom will feed us with his very self. But all of that happens through the ministry of his priest. Now surely Christ could perform this without priest. He's God, the omnipotent, the almighty. He can do all things, but he doesn't. He desires our participation, our generosity. And so he asks us to be generous and to give him someone from our community, from our family, who can fill up the jar. If we were here at Mass just a few years ago before the liturgy was performed in the 1960s, the chant that would have been sung as we came forward for Holy Communion would have been this. And when the chief servant had tasted the water that had become wine, he said, Surely you have kept the best until now. Surely Christ has kept the best for each of us, himself, his new covenant. He's kept it for us until now, but he seeks our help in the miracle. They have no wine. Who will give it to them? Who is willing to let themselves be crushed like grapes until the Lord has drawn out every last drop of themselves until there is nothing left to give? And then, when the jar is filled to the brim with every meager talent that we are willing to give him, he will transform it and give it back, not as colorless water, but as the best wine. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.